Hey everyone, welcome to Moxie Moose Caregiver 911. Today we're going to talk about how to deal with grief after your loved one has passed on. Hello, Atara Nico is a mom to a smart, charming 11-year-old boy, a yoga instructor and Reiki practitioner, animal lover, people lover, and a novice belly dancer, and a vegan Muslim, human rights activist, and lover of life. I love it. <laughs> I was really gassing myself up. <laughs> no, you are. You weren't gassing yourself up. You was telling the truth. <laughs> Look, I wouldn't have read it if it was false. <laughs> okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So we're going to start off. I'm going to tell everyone who you are and um, who you used to take care of. So Tara okay. used to take care of her dad. He had low in body dementia and he passed in January or February of this year. January. January of this year. Mm -hmm. So now you get to find out how long she was a caregiver. So Atara, how long were you a caregiver? Well, my dad lived with me for almost 20 years, but I wasn't I was only a caregiver for maybe two of those years. Um, he had a little in-law suite in my house. And when I had my son back in 2009, he um, he was my he was actually the childcare for my son. So, you know, nothing was wrong with him. It was a beneficial relationship because he was taking care of my son and, and living with me. Um, so, in about 2017, around 16, 17 is when we kind of started noticing that that things were a little off with him, not being able to find words. Um, just, he was always an artist, so he was always creative, so some of the things he said that were weird, we just kind of just thought it was just his creativity, his artsy side, but, um, but it became like full-blown hallucinations and paranoia in about 2017, so I cared for him for, I want to say, two years, maybe. Years. His, it was very fast paced and it happened very quickly. So I know a lot of people do it for longer, but for him, it was, it really went in, into high gear right away. Yeah, I know a low, low body dementia is more progressive than Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like five, it's like three to five years, I guess is kind of on average from, right. from the symptoms to, to death. So it's pretty fast. And with all time, it can go 10 to 20 years. Right, yeah, yeah. It's crazy how both of those are. Very different. All right, my next question. Did you have a hard time coping with your dad having low body dementia? I had a very hard time coping with it because um, being as I was the primary person in his life, like his his anger and paranoid delusions were all directed at me. So um, I, I didn't, and I didn't have really any support of anyone else. Like nobody could see the things that I was seeing. So it, it was hard on me. I mean, I loved him, but it was, it was difficult. Um, yeah, so when he would go off or, or get angry, he would tell people things about me that I was stealing from him and and things like that, that was kind of rough. And I guess people didn't know what, what to believe at first because they didn't know that his mind was off. Right. 
I had a friend, um, she told me she was at a park one time. This lady came up to her and was like, hey, this lady's kidnapping me, blah, blah, blah. But it really was her daughter. And my friend had called me because she knew I specialized in dementia and Alzheimer's. And I said, you are right. She has Alzheimer's or some form of dementia. But mm -hmm. if you don't see the lady harm her in any way, I wouldn't go and call the police because usually when somebody has Alzheimer's and dementia, they make up lies. They don't realize what actually is going on. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He told he told, he was telling people I kidnapped people and I was hiding them in the house and it was it was pretty outlandish at times. <laughs> and and nobody, you know, it was always complaints about me. You know, he never said anything about anyone else. So it was hard because we were close. You know, I loved him, and for him to say awful things about me it was it was hard to hard to deal with right hard to not take it personal when it's directed towards you and they usually pick the person that's caring for them the most the immediate person <laughs> the primary caregiver right yeah that's what i hear <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look my grandmother says things to me all, all the time she calls me like 30 times a day and then she i'm the one that's always getting in trouble nobody else <laughs> <laughs> I just want to love you, Grandma. <laughs> you forgot I took you to pole dancing class? <laughs> My next question. What's the biggest challenge that you face while caring for your dad? I would say it was, it was the lack of sleep. Because his... He, he always had, he always was up late at night, but he started getting to the point where he would, well, he was following me around the house at all times. He got really clingy and he, um, he got more active at night. So I didn't want him waking up anyone in the house, you know, besides me. So I would just be available to him at night so he could, you know, follow me around and complain to me so I think I think the biggest challenge was not sleeping and, and during the day you know there's other people there they could kind of keep an eye on him and um, make sure he didn't do anything dangerous but right. at night I was the only one that could do that I mean he was just pacing around up all night banging on things and I just had to keep him keep him safe <laughs> Right. And keep every, everyone else able to sleep. I can imagine that was a hard task. Not get a lack of sleep affects your concentration and how mm -hmm. you move throughout the day. So I can just only imagine how you felt and try to go on with your day to day life when nighttime was over. Right. Yeah. And when we and when we finally did diagnose him, another thing that was kind of challenging was getting him to take his medication because. He thought I was poisoning him, so it would have to be a lot of bribery and creativity to get him to take the pills and not to think that I was giving him something that was bad for him. You Did you like tricky. put it inside of food, like mix it with applesauce or roll it up in cheese? Ugh. Well, yeah, no, you wouldn't use cheese because you're a vegan. <laughs> give a dog medicine and you hide it in the food. Yeah, you had to do that sometimes, and you know, and they would be like, "Well, this tastes funny," and then they really thought you were. <laughs> yes. 
that's when it can get a little ugly. Right. Yeah. But mostly, you know, you kind of had to get creative with it, you know, like food or just telling him it was something else or something that would keep, you know, the bad people away from him. It was, mm -hmm. it was interesting. It was always, always something different. You never knew. You never know what you're going to be dealing with that day. Right. And now it's hard for my grandmother to take pills now. So I have to crush the melatonin when I get my melatonin and then I mix it in the tea. Oh. Take it that way. Okay. It's because she can't swallow food or she doesn't like the taste of the... Sometimes she doesn't want to swallow it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she's like, no, Misha, I'm not taking it. So the yeah. best form is for me to do tea right now to mix it with the tea. Yeah. That's, that's very creative. <laughs> Look, it didn't happen overnight. After a few struggles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. what am I going to do? I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> My next mm. question for you. Was it a challenge caring for your child and caring for your dad at the same time? Uh, absolutely. It, it changed so quickly that, that I had to spend so much time with my dad. And I wasn't able to spend as much time with my son. Um, my since my dad raised my son my son loved my dad he trusted him he just thought the world of him and they had a very special close relationship as well and i didn't want my son to be like to be afraid of my dad or to be too worried about my dad so i would try to laugh everything off i didn't want him to, i didn't want my son to see me upset right so i would just be like oh grandpa's that funny thing that grandpa did like my son had this punch this big punching bag uh -huh. in the house and my dad thought it was a person and he was like kicking it and hitting it and and you just like kind of got to step back and make light of it even though it's yes. not really funny but yeah like just just for my son because he was a little younger at that time and it's just so hard for him to understand right and you know he would i mean he would come up and my dad wasn't even a violent person but he would be in my face screaming at me and there was a time in assisted living that he actually like was was physically violent and it was really hard hard on my son to see that but i think it's like any any type of fight that you have and there's a kid around even if it's a significant significant other you have to kind of explain things but not not let them see you get too upset about it right i don't know you just had to it's, figure out a way to, it's it's touchy but you just had to figure out a way to break it down but i loved how you made light of the moment and instead of you know trying not to get frustrated you laughed instead of crying but I yeah. know you had those moments probably when you had to step to the side and deal with it and cry, but in front of right. your son, you try to hide that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the biggest, biggest challenge, I think. And I think, you know, just trying to keep open lines of communication with my son so that if he did get upset or things got out of hand, he could talk to me about it. Right. And explaining. Because kids aren't stupid. No, they're not. They're smart. <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're very yeah. inquisitive and they'll figure out things right yeah 
but I, but I'm normally the kind of person that if things get overwhelming, I do tend to laugh and it's like, it's like this weird response that I have. So I was, I was doing a lot of laughing and I got criticized for it. Like, why are you laughing at, you know, your dad doing this stuff? that's not funny and you're making him more agitated. And I'm like, it's just for my son. And also I just laugh sometimes when I'm uncomfortable. Look, whatever works for you, some people, yeah. don't, you won't understand. They won't understand until they're in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you try to do, do what you can. Yes. All right. My next question. At what point did you decide that it was time to place your father in assisted living? So with assisted living, um, well, we had taken him we finally got him diagnosed at Johns Hopkins because we, I had taken him, he kept saying he was having heart attacks, even though my dad at 70 had the heart, they said of a 40 year old man, he was very healthy, but he kept saying he was having heart problems. So I kept taking him to the emergency room and taking people aside and saying, he's, you know, he's having these hallucinations, but nobody would take him seriously. And finally we got him to Johns Hopkins where, where he was diagnosed. And, after after he was diagnosed i had told my family i did a lot of thinking and i said you know i'm gonna quit my job and just stay home with him you know and and whatever money that we were gonna spend on because my sister and i split it because my dad didn't have um a whole lot of money saved up i mean he had a little bit of pension but not a whole lot. So my sister and I paid out of pocket a lot for the assisted living. And I just said, you know, whatever we would have spent on the assisted living, you know, I'll just use that, you know, to pay my bills and everything and I'll quit my job and take care of him. Right. And I had decided on that because I, I felt like, like I had made a commitment to him when I you know, let him move in with me and all this stuff happened. Um, I felt guilty for, you know, you start being guilt, feeling guilty for everything you did as a kid that <laughs> upset them. So I was like, I'm going to stay, I'm, I'm going to be his caregiver. And my family kind of intervened. Um, my dad was doing really, really dangerous things. Like he took an ax and was going to try to cut some power lines because he thought people were spying on us. He, sometimes he, if he was alone, he would run out in traffic. He was doing dangerous things, so it had to be 24-7. And my family said, you know, you will never have a moment to yourself. You won't be able to go to the grocery store. You know, you won't be able to take your son anywhere. Like, if you make this commitment, and they kind of intervened, and they said, they told me, no, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm a grown-up, I could do what I want. But I, right. you know, as a, as a, I wanted to make a decision as a family. And... As a family, we decided to put him in assisted living. It was just dangerous, and it, it worked out that I was like, "Well, I could get, you know, we could get a nurse for for the times that I need to go places." But um, it actually was more expensive. Yes, like it expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, which is sad. I mean, it shouldn't. I feel like it shouldn't be like that, but but it is, and so it financially it made more sense, and my family didn't want that on me and I I mean I'm grateful in a way that that I you know did have more time to spend with my son and everything but I I also felt guilty 
because I wanted to take care of him myself. Right. So it was a, really hard, but it wasn't a decision that I made by myself. Yeah, I think that's the hardest decision that anyone had to make with put, placing their loved one in the system living. You feel like you're abandoning them, but you're really not. You want to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if you're not mentally, if it's like taking you down mentally and physically, where mm-hmm. you're going to harm, he may harm you, and then you're no good to him. Right. So, it's you're going to have those battles where you're fighting yourself and thinking you did the wrong thing, but don't feel that way. It, it takes time to get over, but it's just something that we all go through when it gets to that point. Yeah, that's true. It is true. But yeah, you have to be very careful. We we originally put them in one assisted living facility, and we were limited because. You know, we were not well. We were wealthy, so we right. we tried to find a place that had a good reputation, but it wasn't terribly expensive. Mm-hmm. And we like there were some times that we came and he had like sore place, you know, like a busted lip or something. Oh, no. So we, I mean, which could have been. My dad is very, very active, and he continued to be very, very active until the end, physically. And, you know, he he, pro- he might have just fallen, you know, like he was just doing, going up and down stairs and doing crazy stuff. But but it's hard when, when they're not very verbal or when they do have hallucinations to know if what they're saying is true or because you're not there. So I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is as far as assisted living. We, we ended up taking him out of there and, and taking him to a place that was a little bit more, but we thought you know, maybe they would treat him better. Um, I don't, yeah, like deciding on assisted living is hard. Yeah, it's definitely hard work. You have to do your research, have to do, even though once you find a good place, still check in to make sure they're doing their job because we are our yeah. best advocates for our loved ones. Right. And it's not to say anything against anyone in assisted living in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really hard job and you know, bless them for being able to do it. But there are, you know, there always are bad apples in every, I don't know what the expression is, but. Like you had your good and bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I did hear that it was good to just come at different, you know, never come at a particular predictable time, always come at different times on different days and, you know, just so you can see what's going on at any given time. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, my next question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you have a self-care routine for yourself? Did you have a self-care routine for yourself when you were caring for your dad? <clears throat> well, I I wouldn't say that I had a routine, but I was doing yoga and meditation. And okay. I think that was very, very helpful in keeping me grounded and keeping me from going crazy sometimes, yes. especially in the beginning when I didn't know what was going on, I think. That was very helpful. Um, I don't think I had time to do self-care, like, as far as, you know, like, vacations or or anything like that. But just taking the time every day to um, breathe and be mindful and, um, and practicing yoga, I think, was very helpful. 
I've, I would recommend that to anybody. Uh, just kind of letting go of everything that's going on and just focusing on breathing and focusing on, hey, I'm doing a, um, do you want to say hi? Can I order pizza? <laughs> oh, cool. All right, I'll be up in a minute. <laughs> So we're almost done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Much more relaxing now. As you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good self-care. Yes, yoga. So did you used to do the yoga in the morning? Yeah, like early morning before I would go into work when I was, when I was taking care of them because the, I guess I had that a few hours in the, in the dawn, like before the sun rose to, to myself. And yeah, I would do yoga, which you can do with just like YouTube videos. Yes. There's so many free resources. Like you don't have to actually go to a studio. No, not at all. We can't go right now. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> so YouTube is our best bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yoga is definitely relaxing in the morning. It helps to get you grounded. And if you don't want to go in, the, if you don't want to do it in the house, you can always go outside. Yeah, that's that's the best when it's a nice sunny day and get some vitamin D. <laughs> yes, be by nature. I said one day uh -huh. this week I was gonna go by the waterfall to do some yoga at um Lake Roland. Ooh, that sounds good. Yes, that would be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next question for you. What was the most memorable moment you had with your dad before before the disease and after the disease? Before the disease, my most memorable moments for him were outdoor activities. He always took our sis my sister and me camping, hiking, just like out in nature, being active. So, um, just memories of him really being, being so physically active and, um, running, you know, he did a lot of running, but that's, that's what I remember the most. It was very involved. It's not like a specific memory. Right. When I think about it, it was just, it was like a collection of, that was my dad. He was like the outdoorsy mountain man. <laughs> yeah. He's a good guy. <laughs> I know. Now, what's your most memorable moment after? So, I have to toot your horn here. <laughs> but, yeah, um, we had so many, so many bad memories. Um, I mean, we had some good visits in the beginning. But nothing really stands out except for the time that you came. and. It was just, it was so great because the whole family went, you know, my sister, me, and all the kids, and just, like, playing the music and just seeing them be silly and, like, attempting to flirt with you. <laughs> That's what I remember That's my dad. Like, <laughs> he always loved pretty girls, you know, like, I mean, he wasn't, like, a old perverted guy, but he always was, like, that lady was so pretty. I would have to flirt with her. <laughs> I'll do but, all the activities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was just, you know, like, like being silly and 
even though he couldn't really talk too much, he his you could still see a sense of humor with his funny faces that he made. And my son um, throwing the football with him, trying to like uh, get it through the little hole. Yeah. Like, right through the hole, and my son would catch it and hand it back to him. And it was good to. It was still good for the kids because they were happy. They were doing art with them. Like, it was just a whole nother vibe. And I was just really, really, really happy for that opportunity to see him happy before he passed in January. <laughs> it was I'm so grateful that we connected and I was able to provide some assistance to you all. Yeah, I know. It made my day. Yes. <laughs> made all of our days. <laughs> <laughs> all right my last question for you what are three tips you would give someone else who is grieving the loss of their loved one so three tips that i would say um would, would be to reach out you know to have a support system even if even if there's people that you have you know like a lot of people isolate themselves when they when they lose people and, and it's easy to get in, you know, kind of get trapped by that isolation. Just reach out to people, you know, people, people that you don't even think will be there for you, will be there for you. People will surprise you. There's, there's a lot of good people in the world. And um, just reaching out to people, even if, if you don't have anyone close by, you know, call someone or online support system, just not trying not to completely isolate yourself. Right. Reaching out, I think having support um, is a good way. Um, and also having a spiritual practice, whether it be, you know, a religious practice or, you know, the yoga, meditation, you know, church, just whatever spiritual practice feels comfortable to you you know that's that's good because um by us being spiritual we could uh, sound silly but we would see signs of my dad <laughs> like like not not seeing ghosts but um like not to be overtly political but my my dad hated the president and so my, my sister and I had this running joke while he was, when he was um, in a com coma in hospice. Um, I guess it's a, a coma. He was unconscious the whole time he was in hospice. But we were like, you know, um, when, you, when you do pass, because we knew he was going to pass, um, when you do pass, you know, the, you just have one assignment before you, you know, go to heaven or, or wherever you want to go. Um, you have to go to the White House and haunt Trump. And then we, um, the day that I, the day after he passed away, I turned on the TV and there was a news program and the newscaster was like, I don't even know what it was about. They were talking about what they're like, yes, this is, this came back to haunt Trump. And it was oh, like, God. it was like so funny that the exact same language we used. So we, we thought, oh, that's a sign from dad, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, he was speaking through the TV for the news. <laughs> I did my job, y'all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and then lastly, um, 
being proactive, um, doing maybe making something good out of a bad situation. My sister and I, instead of doing a funeral, and you you were there, uh, yes. we did a fundraiser for the Louis Body Dementia Association, and um, you know people would buy tickets and we provided dinner. I mean, we used our money to do the dinner, but people would buy tickets and everything that we raised, we donated to Louis Body Dementia, had a silent auction. And this just made us feel like, yeah, a really bad thing happened and we lost our dad, but at least we could make something good out of it. So maybe, uh, maybe volunteering with people, um, you know, organizations, that have to do with the person that you lost, whether it be, you know, an Alzheimer's or a dementia association or, or even just something that they loved in life. Like if they really love kids, volunteering with kids to honor them, or if they loved animals, you know, doing something with, with the animal shelter to honor them. I think, I think that's another good way of coping when you lose someone just to honor their spirit in some way. That's a really great tip. I know volunteering helps so much when it comes to grieving. This doesn't have to do with a person, but when I lost my dog, I went and volunteered at the SPCA because it just made me feel help, happy, you know, working with yeah. other animals. Yeah. I know I wasn't ready to buy another dog at the time, but mm -hmm. I knew I could help another animal. Right. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly. Well, <laughs> I thank you so much for letting me interview today. Okay, thank you so much for having me. You're Good welcome. You. <laughs> Look, you probably ready. Your son's probably ready to get his pizza now. I know. Yep, yep. As soon as I hang up, I'll be on the phone. <laughs> so once I finish editing everything, I'll send you the link over. Awesome. All right, cool. my dear. So enjoy the rest of your day. Stay hydrated, sanitized. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. You do the same. All right, bye, Tara. All right, bye. <laughs>